0: You're listening to episode 96 of the unnecessary nonsense podcast. And yet another episode where I only have a vague notion what's going to happen. Consider this a preview to something, stuff, things, other things, some wrestling and other stuff and things. Look forward to that on this episode of the unnecessary nonsense podcast. Not to toot my own horn too much, but I got to I got to tell you these little percursors preview- <laughs> the begin are just are just getting increasingly chef's kiss. I'm Carlos, that's Dave.
1: Stuff and things and stuff and wrestling.
0: There is nothing that I said there that was inaccurate.
1: That's true. Not one thing I said
0: was inaccurate.
1: It's just interesting how at the beginning of this podcast, like not this episode, but this actual podcast, how we never talked wrestling at all. And now it seems like we talk wrestling every week.
0: Listen, I would I would happily turn this into a wrestling podcast because the pretense is slowly being dropped. And in fairness, it is unnecessary nonsense. It could be anything we want to. It's true. And and now that you're actually watching some wrestling, you're getting caught up a little bit. And I I have this wealth of knowledge and information that I can convey and I can bring people up to speed. I'm happy to do it. But we can still intersperse the other stuff. The beauty of it
1: is that it's open.
0: It is a it's, it's it is an, an unblemished canvas. tapestry.
1: Canvas. It's a blank canvas every it week. Is an,
0: it is a beautiful tapestry. They can be anything we wish it to be week by week. Because honestly, sometimes the sports world is just kind of boring. So
1: okay. It is what it is. I, This is what I will promise the audience today. At least three different sports. Look at this. There you go.
0: Nice, nice. All
1: right. Uh, so a couple things about my week since we that's where we start. So I'll mm-hmm. let you know. Um, been doing a lot. I've still been doing a lot of reading, um, reading about a book a week, so that's been my thing. Uh, I actually watched a couple of um really good documentaries this week. The one I which I will actually mention, uh, which is on Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. uh, Sheik, which is all about the Iron Sheik.
0: Okay, so the Iron Sheik, yeah, gotcha. yeah,
1: so it's called Sheik, that's the actual mm-hmm. name of the documentary, but it's it's yeah. all about him and it you know it starts with him in Iran, obviously, and then and then moves over to obviously his wrestling career. And his, his after-wrestling career. And to me, it's just a reminder of how tragic life is for so many wrestlers. And sometimes of, of no fault of their own. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, obviously, there's a lot of people who, uh, you know, who would take pain pills, who got addicted to drugs, you know. thing. And the Sheik is one of those people. But, you know, his daughter, he had one of his daughters was murdered which I had no idea about and it's like that you know and it wasn't a wrestling related thing it was just you know it was the person that she got involved with and and he she was murdered and it's like what the you know thinking this is so tragic for this man who's already had so much tragedy who you know potentially escaped death in Iran uh who was you know the Shah's bodyguard at one point like it's 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 a pretty he lives a pretty crazy life. And obviously, the man the man is still alive in his 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, which I did not know until I watched the movie, has a pretty entertaining Twitter account.
0: I believe it. Like, here's the thing. He is a character. He He's become... In some ways, he's become a little bit of a... Um, of almost a caricature of what he once was. But the thing is, the Iron Sheik at one point was, was a legit dude. Like, uh, because he had... I can't remember what the specifics were. I feel like he was... Um, I feel like he was an Olympian.
1: Yeah, he was. He was an amateur yeah. wrestler. And then he yeah. coached for the, the U.S. Olympic. He coached the like he competed for Iran. Mm-hmm. And when he came to the States, he actually became uh, uh, a U.S. Olympic coach for amateur wrestling. Yeah. OK, I thought so.
0: But but that's the thing. Like he he had a we talked about this either last week or the week before. Some of these guys had legit backgrounds.
1: Yeah. Like legit Kurt, Ang- Kurt Angle, Bob Backlund. Like yeah. there's there's and and more
0: and Brock Lesnar. More yep. you know, more recent times, kind of famous for his background as well. But the thing is, like, there were some of these guys who had legit backgrounds. Uh, they got into this business because there was an opportunity to make some money. But it is a very we, – we, we joked about the carny, the carny side of the business. It is that, – that was what it was built on and actually i'll find the video and i'll share it with you it's it's a quick one uh, done by a uh, by a wrestling um, youtube channel basically and what they did is they actually did a little uh, a little historical background maybe it was about a 10 minute video and they gave a little bit of the history of professional wrestling to explain they literally called the video why wrestling's fake but it's a wrestling youtube channel like they they cover this right. they know what they know what they but they what they did is they went back in time be like okay let's explain to you how this thing began and why kayfabe is a thing and how that developed and whatever into the current day. Sounds
1: interesting. Yeah.
0: So let's give you the ba- let's give you the starting point and be like, okay, this is how you can tell the difference between when it went from catch, catch us, catch can, which was the original like wrestling professionally for money. And it was mostly gambling and betting and whatever. Right. But when the money got incorporated into it and then people started to add showmanship and then you start to have predetermined outcomes. It's, it's only about 10 minutes, but it gives you a little quick primer. Starting in the late 1800s, early 1900s, to give you real context, hmm. to be like, this is what the whole thing was built off of before you had World Wrestling Federation, before you had you know yeah. WCW and all that. So I think it's it's a worth stuff like that is worthwhile just to give you a little background, a little context.
1: Yeah, I think so for sure. Okay. Uh, and and I guess on that, I also watched. I mean, caught up. I did not watch this week's episode of AEW, although I did go on the next day, uh, mm. but it wasn't up on the on demand yet. Okay. But uh, I did watch Blood and Guts. Mm-hmm. And as, as we talked a bit about previously off-air, uh, you know, it was good. It was a good match. The match was good. The the build-up to it is... The one thing I'll say before I, I t- we talk about the ending, because I know you want to talk about the ending, Sure. is one thing I like about AEW and the product they put out is... It seems to me anyway, and I could be wrong, because I don't, I don't really watch a ton of WWE or mm-hmm. any other promotion at this point in time. But AEW seems to have... You know more prevalence. There's a lot more tag team matches. There always seems to be you know focus on, on tag team and and good tag team. And I I didn't know until this week that Brian Pillman's son, is uh, one in one of those tag teams. In yeah, A-B I think
0: I think they go by the Varsity Blondes.
1: Yes, which is That's a playoff
0: right. of the Hollywood Blondes, which is you know not not. And considering there was that documentary recently about Brian Pillman, the Dark Side of the Ring one, mm-hmm. two part, uh, where his his son is featured in there a little bit as well. Probably yeah, yeah. So it. It is interesting to see, and from all accounts, he's doing quite well, doing very nicely for himself, starting to establish his own reputation. But he is Brian Pillman Jr. Like (laughs) he can't get away from the name; he is Brian Pillman Jr.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, But yeah, I like I like that aspect of the product. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, it makes you because I feel like they wrestling has gone away a little bit from the tag teams Mm -hmm. to to some degree. Uh, But the end match, uh, like I said, the Blood and Guts match was good. But then you have you know. Chris Jericho flying off the top of the cage at the end, mm-hmm. uh, which was entirely predictable. Once, as soon as you knew who was going to win, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. But I know you have some comments about that, Carlos. So
0: yeah, well, I'm just going to quickly touch on the, the the main point of discussion because really, I, I I observe when it comes to wrestling, I have the background of all of a lifetime of watching uh, different product and different federations and all this stuff and being able to refer back to all this information I'll still watch. And Dave was asking me before we hit the record button, the kind of like, do I still watch WWE?" The answer is no, but do I pay attention to what's going on? Yes. I still do try to pay attention a little bit to storylines and kind of things so that I understand what's happening. A lot of it just doesn't interest me. Legitimately doesn't interest me. And I find, and this is kind of a prevailing theme that um, anyone who watches this and watches my live streams on my sports card thing and other stuff like that, I value my time above all else at this stage. It matters to me what I do with my time. And if I'm going to give my time to this, it has to feel worth it. And right now, WBE's product doesn't feel worth my time. So it's like you're asking, on Monday night, you're asking three hours. That is too much to ask. I can't do it. Because so much of it is filler. And what was the turning point of that is that I have a PVR now. And I've had it for a while. But the beauty of a PVR is that I can hit record. I can come back to it later and fast forward through things Mm -hmm. that don't interest me. My ratio is even if the show is great, even AEW, as much as I enjoy it and I speak well of it, I do fast forward through some stuff, but I'll still watch the majority of the show. That's the ratio that I'm talking about. And that's what I'm looking for. Some stuff. I kind of know where this is going. Maybe it's a match that, yeah, the match will probably be pretty good. The guys in it are pretty good or the girls in it are pretty good. Um, But there's no story that I'm interested in here. So the result, I'm kind of willing to fast forward to the result and just get to that part. Mm -hmm. Um, That saves me time. It lets me go through the show a little bit quicker. But with WWE, I was reaching a point a while back where on a three hour show, if I'm doing fast forwarding, I was still watching no more than four minutes on a three hour show
1: that's ridiculous yeah like what, the, that it really isn't worth your time at all yeah, yeah that's like all you're gonna it, watch
0: yeah like if it's a three-hour show you're giving me and maybe i'll watch four minutes of it because the rest of it to me is filler filler wasting my time why would i even give you the four minutes then
1: i'm <laughs> yeah, just exactly. well just skip
0: the whole exercise and be like i'm not gonna watch any of this yep um and i feel like i will lose nothing and that's the problem is that with WWE, i can be like from time to time i'll peek in just to be like all right what are you guys up to oh more of the same shit gotcha as you were please continue <laughs> And it's not a lack of talent. They have so much talent under that umbrella. That's what makes it worse. To me, knowing they have so much talent under that roof that they're paying good money to. And the product is so bad. It's just unwatchable. Uh, That's my opinion. But to me, it's unwatchable.
1: Who would Uh, you single out as really solid talent?
0: Oh, they've got tons. Like, Sasha Banks is a professional wrestler. She's not just a great women's professional wrestler. She is a professional wrestler who takes her craft seriously. Bailey takes her craft seriously. Charlotte is very good, but her character is overplayed. Her problem isn't that she isn't good. Her problem is that they've decided like they're just going to promote her to the expense of everything else. The problem is you've got all these other people who are good wrestlers or really good wrestlers. Um, Or maybe they've got really good characters, but they're kind of treated as afterthoughts. They're kind of treated as jokes. And I'll I'll compare I'll contrast that to AEW. By the way, AEW isn't perfect. Just to be clear, there is nobody's nobody's done a perfect job, but they're doing a decent job because they understand that. Well, in order to promote some of these folks, some of these folks have to have winning records. It can't feel like they win a match, lose a match, win a match, lose a match, win a match, lose a match. And a lot of people at the roster have that, so everybody feels kind of the same. Mm-hmm. So even when somebody's competing for the title, you're like, why? I've been watching you. I've been watching your matches the last couple of months. You win as often as you lose. You're about five hundred. Why would you be competing for a title? You're all kind of me. You're all equally mediocre. Right. And when that's what you're selling me, who's the star then? It's really hard to make that for the audience. You need to be able to convince me that so and so is a threat. And there are always these little um, and a lot of my critic criticisms and critiques are storyline wise. And I'll get back to the AEW thing. And I'll explain why it's not even the result; it's how you arrive at the result that is important to me as a viewer. That's super critical because when I go and watch these things, and I'm watching somebody who's about 500, that that isn't compelling to me. Or yeah. I watch somebody who suddenly is getting a run of wins because they need to be built up to be uh, to be the number one contender to compete with X title. Doesn't matter what division. Doesn't matter what title. Doesn't make a difference. So you do all this. And then you go in and they're like, and the announcers have to play this up and they do all that. And I'm sitting there like, but this person spent the last three years not giving a crap about trying to win this title because they were focused on these feuds that meant nothing that didn't, if the goal, if the objective here, and this is a piece of advice for any wrestling promotion. If the titles are supposed to be important in theory, everybody in the promotion should want those titles. What that means is that from bottom the, from the jobber all the way to the person at the top of the card everybody in theory is trying to work towards it their right. motivations can be different maybe they want prestige maybe they want to make more money maybe they want to get on the promote maybe they want to be featured on television they want to be famous it could be for a multitude of reasons why they would like to be champion they just but the understanding oh if i win this championship then I will be heavily promoted as one of the key players in this company. Therefore, I my face will be on the, you know, on the Titan Tron. Therefore, I'll be at the bumper at the beginning of the show. Therefore, I will be showcased here, there. That could be your motivation. Yeah. Maybe it's just ego. You want to be seen in these things. That could be your motivation, why you want to win this title. It gives you a reason to want to do it. Maybe you want to make more money. Well, the champion makes more money. Well, that's a great motivator. That that That's a logical motivator. If you show that to the audience, it's like, well, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah totally. the champion should make more money. Yeah, totally. And maybe the champion gets more opportunities, and they get to be on talk shows, and they get to do cool. all those. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. If that's your motivator, but if that's the case, and that's why you want to be the champion, then shouldn't every move you make, regardless of who you're competing against – In some way involve you trying to position yourself so that eventually you will get in that position. It means even if you're having a feud with so-and-so, you want to beat them so you can walk right over their body to get to the next challenge that is going to get you closer to your objective. Yeah. Everything needs to be you focusing in on I'm fighting this person but I'm fighting them because they're in my way right now. Right. And if I can get past them, then I'm going to face so-and-so, then I'm going to face so-and-so, and one way or another, I'm going to find my way to getting into that position to then try to win the thing. Yeah. But in WBE, a lot of these folks will spend years wandering the wilderness, happy-go-lucky, doing nothing. They'll just hang out in the back and have these dumb segments that mean nothing. And then one day, suddenly they'll snap and be like, "I, I- we had this a couple of years back with Kofi Kingston when he became the WWE Champion and they made this whole and they suddenly retconned his entire history and said Kofi Kingston has been fighting for t- 12 years or 10 years or whatever it was that he's been at the company to be con- to, for this opportunity to become champion and I'm like were you never in the Royal Rumble because you were definitely in the Royal Rumble were you never in a money in the bank because you were definitely in a money in the bank were you never in a multitude of other things that were you never in an elimination chamber because I, I believe he was all of these opportunities where you could have gotten a title shot over the course of a decade, you didn't seem to give a crap. It didn't seem that important to you back then. Why do you suddenly care now? It doesn't make sense. This story is... It, it could be true for the performer, for the individual who wanted maybe the opportunity, but it's a predetermined sport. It's a storyline, whatever. But now you're retroactively telling me that the guy who didn't seem to care at any point during the last 12 years suddenly now was hell bent on this all along. And it's like, nothing you've done up until this point suggests that to me. Right. It seems like a lie. Yeah. Therefore, it doesn't mean anything to me when, when he succeeded and got the championship. He had a nice run with the title and everything. But it's like... It, it seemed like just and the and the fans play into this too it's like oh you deserve it it's like did he deserve it last year because they could have done it last year or the year before or the year before that or the year before that no one gave a shit he was just a dude yeah you guys just decided he's the flavor of the week fine whatever give him the title doesn't mean anything congratulations if the story had built in such a way where it made sense there was a reason why this person wants xyz and even if they're far away it's a long journey it's going to take them a long time but they're chipping away at it day by day show by show pay-per-view by pay-per-view and you're seeing that progression and one day they get to that spot and it's like "Oh, i've been following this progression this makes total sense
1: yeah that's different right
0: yeah i i get it i understand because it's clear that this person was working towards this goal for some time then it fits then it works Mm
1: -hmm. yeah for sure
0: it used to be like that they used to have that now all this to say i'll talk about the blood guts thing with the AEW thing the concept was fine the execution was mostly good the problem was the execution at the end that was the critique the Uh critique was that chris jericho got thrown off the top of the cage you know the villainous mjf having his villainous moment after winning the match you know he still throws him off the problem is that AEW kind of betrayed uh, some of their inexperience where the camera guys uh missed the opportunity to maybe show uh you know an upward facing camera angle or something where like you're showing a different camera,
1: any, anyway a different camera angle than what they did
0: yeah but the end result was you showed him falling but then you showed him falling onto the onto the you know the the area there um basically the walkway area yeah but, I,
1: think, I believe it had the aw logo
0: yeah and but the problem is the walkway was effectively uh you know your temper your temper your sempercedic mattress whatever it was basically just this crash pad (laughs) with foam where even the metal grates was like literally made out of foam. And it's like, that is the safest fall. Why didn't you drop him into a, you know, ball pit or something? Like it looks about as dangerous.
1: Actually, I feel a ball pit probably would have been more dangerous. Well, like like.
0: maybe he would have drowned in the balls, but like the point is that it, it, it wasn't, it didn't look good. And the concept was fine. The execution is where you lost it. And it was the production. This was production execution. Chris Jager did his job. MJF did his job. The guys in the match did their job. They Absolutely. did a very good job. The The problem was that the match was over. And they still managed to somehow crash the landing. You were already... It's like you, you landed the plane, and then the plane exploded after you landed it. And it put it to a stop. And it's and like...
1: It, honestly, to be fair, like, it's... <laughs> I'm glad he landed. Right? You want people to be safe. You want them as safe as they can, right? Because there's an inherent danger in professional wrestling, no matter what, right? They, you know, you land something wrong and it could paralyze somebody. Like, that's, it's known risk, mm-hmm. right? So the fact that he landed safely is a good thing. The problem yeah. is that the cam, you know, the, the illusion of They'll it. Don't show it. Right, yeah. You yeah. know what? You don't, you pick a different camera angle and then we're not talking about this.
0: Yeah, the thing, the point, the point was, there were some folks that legitimately were like complaining about the, the, the crash pads themselves. And I was like, no, that's the wrong angle to take the right angle to take is it. Don't show me that you could have shown him getting thrown and then let the audience fill in the blanks.
1: For sure. You because, don't even have to, you don't have to show the landing. You never yeah. actually technically had to show him again
0: because you can have him get thrown and you can have a sound of like, you know, metal getting slammed. Literally you can have somebody just slam a piece of metal nearby yeah. and, and, We're we're left to connect the dots as the audience, and our imagination will take over. It's almost like
1: it's it's like that, um, you know, stagecraft thing, right, with with plays, right? And because I, you know, teach drama, Mm -hmm. one of the things you say is, "Don't die on stage," Mm -hmm. right? It's way more effective if you have that death take place. I mean, the dead body can appear on stage, but the the actual death should happen, you know, in the dark or off stage or something, because you let the you know people fill in the blanks and it actually becomes way more effective than if you you know done some kind of other thing on stage
0: yeah and i'll give you guys one more analogy here that plays into this let's use a famous movie from cinema jaws okay we know jaws yes we're familiar with it the song da 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 it's it's a famous song famous song famous movie um jo- the the shark is barely in the movie the shark's not in the movie. The shark's not in the movie for the majority of it. Everything is happening about everything's happening under the water. You never see the shark until the latter portion of the yeah, movie. Yeah,
1: you really you really only see the, like the full shark or the side twice, yes. I think, basically. Yes. Once and, and when it, they first notice it and then when it comes, yeah. you know, the ending, right? And it's and it's
0: a beautiful technique because it lets the audience fill in the blanks for the majority of the film. Now, one of the jokes is, uh, Jaws was always a fun kind of inner inside joke inside my house because I told my dad that once, uh, and now now it exists, so I might have to buy it for him. Um, uh, I, I told him that when, when Blu-ray came out, I said, oh, well, I got to get you Jaws on Blu-ray. And he goes, why? Because when they finally show the shark, I think they've got the thing where, like, a guy, like, stabs it with a harpoon or whatever. The problem is it looks like, it looks like, the shark looks like it's made out of paper mache because basically the hole looks like crap. So I said, the problem is that when you actually get to seeing the shark, then Jaws is best seen in 144p. Not 1080p, 144 yeah, Make it as blurry as possible.
1: I think what so Jaws is, what, 76, 77, something like that? 75, I think. 75 yeah. is when it came out.
0: Now, here's the thing, though. You can have um, a, restored digital, a restored master, which is what they did for later iterations. Like, you can have high-quality... The, the film will probably look great because you can take it directly off the original reels and get like a really high resolution image uh jaws does not benefit from that <laughs> it actually makes it more apparent how fake the shark is because there's obviously some of them i think it's still in the first movie you have the thing where the one guy gets bitten by the shark and he's like getting eaten by the shark and the problem is the, the shark's mouth is open and it's like it's embarrassing how bad it looks yeah. But if you look at it in the theater in 1975, you're not really catching that. Now, if you watch it later on an HD remaster where you can see, like, pores on the shark, that's not going to look good. I joke with my dad. I go, "Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you the 4K, Master. You got to see it in 4K. <laughs> at, that really? point, at that point, it's like, oh, my God, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look really embarrassing. Uh, it doesn't hold up visually. But as no. a film, it holds up as a story it holds up absolutely and if you but as a technique the you know steven spielberg did not show you the shark because the longer the shark was on the screen the more exposed you are and you'll lose the effect it's better show less and they use that beautifully and for the most part the movie doesn't suffer it only shows the shark a couple of times it's very brief in the sequels they start showing the shark more which actually makes them worse Yeah, for sure. It's an old technique. It's not complicated. The point is they could have done the same blood and guts thing. The match was fine. The ending was fine. The little post-match thing where you showed him land on crash mats, not so good because it's the last thing you see basically. And it kind of takes away from, and right now AEW has had a couple of, now the good news is most of the time they learn from their mistakes, but they've had a couple of these production snafus where it's like, I know you wanted to do something spectacular or something you thought would be really cool, but then the execution didn't get there. Yeah. Sometimes don't overly complicate it. There were a lot of ways you could have gotten to the ending you wanted and still gotten and made MJF dastardly and still gotten the result you were looking for without putting yourself in a position to then be like, okay, now we have to explain away. So why? Chris Jericho was literally back the very next show because he couldn't sold that injury for longer. Now he had a sling on and everything, you know, arm injury and whatever, but it's like they normally you have him be gone for a couple of weeks to sell the the horrific nature of the injury he yeah. was back the very next show
1: yeah no once it's it was too obvious
0: yeah you you couldn't and they had the same thing at revolution they did during the end of the death match they had the same issue because for some reason they got it in their head they're like after the conclusion of the match we'll have the explosives go off and it ended up being glorified sparklers because somebody made a mistake and it looked terrible. It's basically, it's basically uh, Eddie Kingston. Like storyline wise, it was a good idea because he, in in this critical moment, he basically turned uh, and became a good guy to save his old buddy John Moxley after that blood feud they had had and everything. And he like jumps over him to shield him with his body, and the four ring posts are basically sparklers, and you look like a complete moron <laughs> protecting him from sparklers. Yeah. And you kind of had to then try to play off of it, but it, it didn't look good. <laughs> After a death match where you're doing all this crazy stuff with barbed wire and all this, and the ending was... And the problem is you set yourself up for this. Nobody said you had to have an explosion at the end. Nobody told you to do that. Yeah, That was an unforced error. Yep. It was unnecessary. You didn't have to do it. And then it ended up looking bad, and now you have to kind of like reverse engineer an explanation for it. Yeah, exactly. You made everybody's life way harder than it had to be. That's a production issue. Tony Khan needs to learn sometimes... Sometimes less is more.
1: Yep, for sure. Sometimes
0: less is more. They'll learn. They'll learn. Is there something else
1: you wanted to say about the match too? I thought.
0: Um, I think for the most part, the only other thing I'll say is that I appreciate that they did it. I like that they tried to do their, because Blood and Guts is basically war games. Mm. They don't own the rights to the name war games, but they basically did a war games match. I think the people did. a. I want to give them credit. The people in the match did a really good job. They worked super hard. Um, I would critique certain aspects of it, but I'm not going to harp on it too much. Yeah. Um, there was some stuff that didn't make sense to me because there was a point where the uh, the inner circle basically is like, okay, they had all the pinnacle guys dead, they were dead. One of them got stabbed with a fork. They were dead, <laughs> and I'm like, how do you not win this match? <laughs> I was like, I understood, but it's like at the end of this, like, you should have never gotten to that point. You yeah. guys had the match won in the middle of the cage already. <laughs> like, this match is over like it's over. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Sometimes you let it drag on a little too long, but it's like, it's fine. But on the whole, I think really well done up until that last little bit with the crash mat. And that was a production issue more Mm -hmm. than a, uh, more than a concept. It was a good concept, but the execution needs some work, but it's important how you present it is super important in that genre. It is super getting to the results important, but how you present it, what you show the camera angles and all that, that's something you got to learn. WB already has mastered that. They've struggled with everything else, but the production, WWE will never be cheated on production. They know how to do that part really well. Yeah. It's all good, but there's blood and guts and uh, a nice uh, elongated story for you.
1: Nice, thank you. I mean, yeah, it's good. It's always good to talk wrestling um do you have uh you have anything you want to tell us about this week we've already talked for almost half an hour and haven't really gotten to any i of the main so well. so know so well. no, do you don't have to
0: no I, i'll i'll add um it's not going to be about this week so much like i said work-wise pretty quiet pretty chill uh i have been enjoying though i'll give you guys this uh because it gives me an opportunity to make fun of something as, as i enjoy
1: doing as you, as you do man
0: So um, I've been enjoying a couple of different things as far as audiobooks and a couple of uh, other out of – I finished an audiobook called Bad Blood, which was the story of – I want to say Theranos. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that one. That was with Lady Elizabeth Holmes who basically uh, created this tech startup that was going to revolutionize the medical industry.
1: No, I'm not familiar with this. Yeah. So
0: long story short, she became this Silicon Valley darling uh, for building this company that became – a multi-billion dollar evaluation company did all these things that had all these famous people as part of the board of directors. Henry Kissinger was on her board of directors. All these people who were well known in the George Schultz who was uh, involved in the Reagan administration, like a lot of names. And I think Mathis, the general from the United yep. States was part of was involved in that too a little bit. All these big folks involved in it for this piece of technology that never actually worked. <laughs>
1: fantastic and
0: now and now she's being tried uh for criminal charges because basically there was fraud there's all kinds of stuff it's of very salacious very uh, very enjoyable um very interesting but it is ongoing the trial is ongoing as we speak so uh so the story continues but i got a chance to listen to the audiobook really well done uh, so i give credit it's called bad blood so you can check that out second thing um i usually try to go down my youtube rabbit hole but unfortunately this uh this week i had a problem where um i started going down my youtube rabbit hole and I guess folks were tired, you know. The weather's getting nicer. Maybe the content was was being produced in lesser quantity, and they kind of ran out of gas. And I was like, "Oh, well, I guess I'll um, I've got I'm, I've got Amazon Prime Video here in Canada, so I can I can pop it on. I'll watch something." So I was looking for something interesting to watch, and I was checking. I had some stuff I could watch, some movies or whatnot. And I was like, "Okay, let me see what happens." And then I came across this uh, documentary called 77 Minutes," okay, and and the thing is um i'll occasionally go down the rabbit hole of watching like disaster type documentaries like i've watched a bunch of documentaries on chernobyl i've watched a bunch of documentaries on the um on the north hollywood shootout if you're familiar with that one that was uh in the late 90s uh are you familiar with that one at all no uh basically in uh, los angeles there was a bank of america that was robbed in 1997 by two guys and these two guys decided to go and do this bank heist in full body armor with AK-47s and a whole arsenal. All right. and, what ha- and what happened is they, uh, they basically – it was by accident and happenstance that as they were doing this robbery, uh, a police cruiser was going by and happened to catch some suspicious activity and radioed it in. So they had less time than they anticipated And as a result, they ended up getting into a shootout with police that lasted like 70 or 80 minutes because these guys were in full body armor from head to toe, uh, basically. And they had AK-47s and the police officers are there. Ellen, they had armor-piercing bullets. So basically, they're like holding off an entire squadron of police officers. They're shooting at the the helicopters, anybody that gets within range. Now, what happened is like dozens of officers were shot all over the place they were like they were like uh, nobody died everybody lived but people were getting shot left right and center because these are armor-piercing bullets so they go through cruiser police cruisers they go through all of this and it was, and the, the police is like sitting there trying to like compete with their firepower with like nine millimeters and 38 caliber guns and even 12 gauge shotguns one of them shot the guy with a 12 gauge shotgun in the back hit him flush but he's wearing body armor So he turned right around and started shooting with the AK-47 and the guy had to duck for cover. So it's like, you're not getting anywhere. (laughs) These guys are not. So basically they were almost impervious to the police uh, ammunition. So this lasted a better part of an hour as they were doing this. Now, what happened is the end result is both of the gunmen died. Uh, Nobody in the bank got, uh, nobody in the bank got killed or none of the officers, but a bunch of them had to go to hospital because a ton of them got shot all over the place. Right. Um, but it's a very dramatic if you get a chance to see I'll recommend some documentaries for you you can check it out it's very inter- it's very interesting but it was to the point that some of the officers ran to a nearby gun shop and try and commandeered some M6 uh, some uh, ar oh, wow! because they were like we need something we we do not have any firepower to even remotely compete jeez with- because because they just didn't have the weapons yeah. and they had they were waiting. For, now, they didn't end up getting a chance to deploy it, but that's how desperate they were that they ran to a local gun shop because the gun shop had better armaments than what the police had. So so they went to go get whatever they could to try to at least be competitive to, to be able to
1: compete. That's with crazy. Um,
0: eventually, when SWAT showed up, they were able to finally compete with them. But it still took SWAT some work <laughs> to be not man. Yeah, so so these guys, but it was very interesting, very fascinating. So I see this thing, seventy-seven minutes. This is a different story. So yep. I wanted to give you context for comparison. Okay. The documentaries I've seen for this North Hollywood shootout are generally very well done. Some very good, very good work on those. Now, seventy-seven minutes is the other side of the equation. The story is interesting. I'll explain the story, but then let me tell you about this documentary. Okay. Right. So the thing is, this is night. The year is nineteen eighty-four turnbull and i are less old than we are now we were alive at that time it's true but less old than we are now correct because we're hashtag old but the point is 1984 the uh the place is just outside of san diego it is a border town um called i guess it's like it was like a prize or a press, whatever is this
1: matter. is it san ysidro
0: yes that's the one
1: i've been there because that's yeah. where you that's where you walk or, that's where the border with tijuana is yes so i actually you know, walked across the border there is this by the mcdonald's there
0: Yes, the 1984 massacre. Well, I've
1: actually seen that McDonald's. I've not been inside it, but I've yeah. I've walked by that McDonald's.
0: It is the site of what is still the fifth um, most deadly um, mass shooting in American history.
1: Wonderful. And by wonderful, yeah. I mean not so wonderful, not <laughs> even a little bit.
0: Yeah, but in 1984, it was number one. Um, so 41 people were shot, and 21 of them were shot dead inside of that McDonald's.
1: Jeez, that's nice. Um
0: and it included every. It included the full spectrum of of a couple of senior citizens in their sixties, all the way to like an eight month year old baby. Oh my god! Shot, all shot dead. Um, now, this documentary, the story itself, it fits into that mass shooting. Like it, it it's certainly rife for a documentary. Like it's, it's got plenty of content to talk about. But um, the the director, Charlie Min, um, it's kind of a hack. Um, and it was I, I caught it by accident. It was made in twenty sixteen. Uh, 32 years after uh, the massacre mm-hmm. itself. Um, but it was the most exploitative attempt at a document. Michael Moore, when he does his stuff, he's very salacious in the way he does his thing. But it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. You understand when you're going into a Michael Moore movie that he's got his agenda, and yep. the movie is designed to convey his agenda. Correct. But, you, but he
1: does it in an entertaining way. Absolutely. I would agree with that 100%. Yeah. yeah.
0: But you need to understand that he definitely has a bias built into his movie.
1: Like, it's yeah. not even a
0: question. He's got For it. sure. And that's okay as long as you understand what it is, and you treat it for what it is, and you observe it accordingly. Uh This thing is ham-fisted to the nth degree. Like, Charlie Min doesn't even pretend. He literally sticks himself in the middle of it when he's interviewing people. And basically, this was meant to be like a police hit piece. He goes, he's basically like, he did everything short of a talk to the police officer over there at the time. So why are you gutless and shit at your job, and you let 21 people die because you hate Mexicans? He didn't actually say that, but he's basically like, he's basically implying it throughout the film. He said, like, why didn't you have any guts? And he says, and the police officer is like, we didn't know how many gunmen were in there. We heard there are three different guns that the guy, the guy had an Uzi and he had a shotgun and he had another weapon. Now it's called 77 minutes because the whole thing took a little over an hour, 77 minutes um and in the course of that time he's shooting at the police officers you know outside of the McDonald's but he's also shooting people inside uh so the story itself is interesting in the sense of how they arrived at that and they had you know victims and witnesses they were able to interview at the time uh, that were around um and the story of the witnesses is very tragic obviously because a lot of people did die um, but even the ones who survived like, were obviously traumatized
1: by it. It was very traumatic. I can't imagine how you're not traumatized by something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, the one guy who was working inside of McDonald's, one of the cooks, um, was shot multiple times and had to crawl uh, 50 feet basically to get to a closet and safety where some of his other coworkers were hiding. But he was shot at the same time as three of his other coworkers who were all shot dead. And the guy basically—the only reason he wasn't shot dead is because the guy uh, ran out of ammo and was went to go reload, and then ran to the front to go shoot at somebody, um, a police officer or something. So during that downtime, he was—he basically crawled himself over to the thing, and then was bleeding out inside a closet before they were able to go and get them and save him. And he ended up becoming a police officer in San Diego. Oh wow. Yeah, so he decided. So he ended up uh, t- going into the profession. So it's ironic that he's like a police hit piece, and the one guy becomes a police officer. He's yeah. a lot nicer to that guy <laughs> than the other police officers um, in it. But the SWAT team commander at the time um, eventually became mayor of San Diego. Okay, two term mayor in San Diego. So like he did all right. Okay. Obviously, they didn't hold it against him. But it was funny because the the guy comes in and does this documentary, and it's very lazy. I would call it very lazy journalism because you can critique uh, the police response to it, and that's wor- worthwhile. I think that's fair. I think it's reasonable to critique it. Um, the only thing that was, it's 1984. SWAT team tactics are very primitive. The SWAT team wasn't a full-time SWAT team. Huh. They were regular police officers who had SWAT training. Okay. And in the end, it was a SWAT team sniper who took out the guy but inside of that McDonald's they had tinted windows and stuff and some of the some of the excuses they gave I think were valid could they have been a little bit more reactive yes but like a couple of the officers did make the point that it's like well today the training is different today we react in a different way because now we've got training related to active shooters now we we have to respond in a different way because now we understand right but in 1984 you're looking at it with 32 years of hindsight you have the benefit of all this additional our weapons are different, our tactics are different. And basically what they're trying they're trying to explain this to this guy who's just not getting it through his thick skull. And he's the documentary maker. <laughs> he's like, dude, you're you're basically knocking us for what we did 32 years ago because we were we didn't have the guts to run into a guy with an Uzi. <laughs> it's like we di- and we don't know what the situation is because we can't see inside. Now, here's what's, uh, again, in the realm of exploitative. And the reason I'm giving you guys this story is because it was a bad documentary. It was poorly done. Uh, The other reason why I'm saying it, though, is that the narrative and how you present it is very important. And the difference between, like I said, Michael Moore is a biased documentary maker, but an entertaining one. You understand what it is. This guy is not really doing it in an entertaining way. It's very ham-fisted. Part of the ham-fisted is he was able to get his hands on the the footage that was used because – when you eventually clear the space and it's a crime scene, um, you take photos and all that to document where everything was, obviously before you move the bodies and move the shell and move everything else, you're going to, you're going to take photos. And in this case, you're also taking video. You're going to walk through the restaurant. And of course, as you're walking through the restaurant where 21, where 41 people were shot, uh, it's carnage, like their yeah, bodies sure. everywhere. Um, he basically plays several uninterrupted minutes of them walking through the restaurant with bodies strewn everywhere. And I'm like, okay, it's a that's a bit exploitative, my man. <laughs> it's a you're basically your goal here is to make everybody feel horrifically bad about all the victims and everything, which who had a very dramatic attack. Well, to be
1: honest though, you don't really have to try very hard to make people feel bad about that kind of thing. Like it's most people's natural reaction.
0: But seeing twenty one dead bodies on video. That really puts like the exclamation point on you, Dave. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, it was it was Mario, a lot. So when you started talking about this, I was like, I might watch this. No, but I, I, I would. I'm like, I'm not going to watch this. It, it's, it's not. not it's, worth, my time. It's,
0: it's honestly not worth it. It's not, honestly not worth it. I'm I'm a, a cold hearted bastard. I watched it. Um, I I wasn't bothered by it. I sat there and I watched it and then I ate some popcorn. Um, it doesn't bother me. But it's it's a to be honest, it's a bad piece of it's a bad piece of documentary. I was already by the time he got to that part. That was in the second half. The first half was actually eh, it was okay. It's not great. It's fine. Yeah. Um. But I was already I, I'm pot committed. I already watched most of this thing. I'll I'll get it through to the end. But then by the time I was like, oh, come on, dude. It's like that. This is shit. This is shitty journalism at best. It's shoddy. <laughs> uh, the IMDb rating he has on it is like in the fives. It, it's it's a shitty piece of work. Um, well, and like I said, it,
1: and you're almost going at that damn. What do they call? It's called a, like torture porn, right? Like you're you're going at sort of that angle of things too. Well, the, th- right? the
0: thing, the argument that you have is that it was real. It is what happened, and it is real footage. Like it's not like he he trumped up the footage to make it look no, worse true, than it was. No, like true, it was reality. There's,
1: there's certain things that, like, do you need? How many times do you need to see it? How much of it do you really need to see? And do you really need to show it at all? Right? Correct. To get I, your point across.
0: I think that's fair, and and the, I think that's a valid critique. Um, the reason why I made sure to make that point is because in case somebody looked it up, it's like. If if you're disturbed by that, I wouldn't watch it. Uh, yeah. To be honest, I'm arguing also that it's a bad piece of filmmaking. I actually yeah. think it's a bad so it's like
1: It's like basically you're, there's there's no point because one, it's it's a crappy film. Yes. And two, like you're probably going to be triggered at by it.
0: So oh, really, I what the hell that. is
1: the point of watching this movie?
0: <laughs> no, I, I look, I watched it for your collective benefit so you don't have to. I'm telling you not to watch this film.
1: So, Carlos, I, on behalf of everyone who hasn't seen this movie, I would like to thank you. So I don't waste my time.
0: No, you and I, and I would, and I would,
1: can I ask another question? And then this is pretty dumb, but it seems to be that this, this film, how long is the movie?
0: The movie, yeah. what's funny, the movie is an hour and 38 minutes, but at the 77 minute mark, he does make reference that this film has now gone on for the same amount of time as the shooting. (sighs) So like, like, like every device is used to try to emphasize the, to like really hammer the thing. Like, can we hammer this home any harder? Uh, and in that vein, the, the reason why I say like I I wanted to explain it to you guys, but then I also wanted to say like don't watch this film, uh, because like I said, I am a cold-hearted bastard who is unmoved and unbothered by this. But if you are a person who would be bothered, there's a billion things that would trigger you, like a billion with a B, because it's like well you're gonna see you're gonna see a dead child, you're gonna see dead children, not one, multiple.
1: Yeah. No, I'm gonna take a pass I'm taking a yeah. hard pass on it, girls. Yeah.
0: So it's like it's the most exploitative thing. I was like I was like, dude, really? You went there? Like you went all the way there. <laughs> I was like, who passed this shit? Okay, fine. Whatever. Uh but anyway, so yeah. So prime video, I'm I, I'm I'm very surprised that they would actually include it, this one. Um in there. It is a documentary though. Like it yeah, is, but there's
1: so Prime has so many things on it. There's so much garbage on Prime because
0: there's a lot that why not? Yeah, that isn't that great. Yeah, I would agree with that. So yeah, I would say this is uh this is an avoid for you. I would say they put it a 13 plus rating. I would probably bump it up a little bit. I, I
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: legitimate dead bodies. I'd probably bump it up a little bit higher than 13 plus. But like I said, I uh, I understood more or less what I was getting into. I was surprised he went there, uh, but he did so there you go um well, to
1: be fair if you if you look at this i just wanted to see if you if you look at this guy's uh charlie mann the director his mm-hmm. his directing credits mm-hmm. this seems to be what he does he has yeah. also made one about the parkland shooting
0: mm-hmm. oh, and I a whole bunch
1: it. of like mexico u.s border documentaries
0: i would not doubt it i wouldn't doubt or it. or was-
1: the kid i'm guessing the uh Uh, The recent Santa Fe shooting, right? That seems to be mass shootings and uh, violence and destruction are his thing.
0: Yeah. Well, the thing is, he'll – he. I think it's more or less a vehicle for him to, like, get himself over because he literally sticks himself in the film. He's the one doing the interviews and, like – Which,
1: you know what, can be an effective tactic if you're actually good at what you do. Yeah. Right? But sounds like – I mean, I don't need to watch this movie to, you know – know that i don't want to watch this movie
0: yeah my thought process was when i came out of it i thought two things i thought this is this is very hacky journalism uh not very good documentary filmmaking i do wish there was a good documentary on this because the story seems like it could be very interesting i Mm -hmm. think done i think in the hands of a good director who understands how to balance tell the story balance it with give us some context give us some explanation try to try to get something out of it as far as teach us something um there is the opportunity there to do that yeah Um, and it's a shame because enough people are around that could speak to it a little bit that could give you some wonderful background and context to give you something like i said the north hollywood shooting was a very crazy thing now they were fortunate that the only people who died in that case were the shooters um, so they, so everybody else lived to tell the story, and they could give you the story. And you had the um, the helicopter from the news thing taking footage, so you could see real footage of the guys having the gun battle back and forth. So it's very exciting. And the only people that are casualties are the shooters themselves. So in that sense, it worked out about as well as it could have for them. Um, in this case, obviously the opposite. Um, but like I said, there is a difference between telling a story. And being exploitative there is a delicate balance to be had charlie man clearly is not capable of, of of straddling that line doesn't clearly know how to um but it was it was a random thing that i came i came across it randomly i ended up watching it and uh now now you know what to uh, one more thing to avoid
1: on amazon yeah, prime for sure
0: yeah uh i would love down the road to see someone take a proper treatment to this and really do give it the proper justice and really tell the story one thing i'll say and this isn't me just being mean but uh obviously they had the um they did have at one point the um uh, the montage of all the victims towards the end with photos of them and whatever, not photos of them in that incident but photos prior to in happier times generally uh, because you gotta do that um uh, with the dramatic music, like I said they use every ham fisted device at in disposal. I will say though, and this isn't meant to be a knock on them, but I don't know what it is about the mid nineteen eighties, and I feel like this is this is just reminded me of it. This is not the only time I've seen it. I swear to God, everybody in the nineteen eighties is like ten years older than their age. <laughs> so legit, true. no, That's like actually legit. true, man. No, like I was looking at it, and they were like, and, and again, full understanding, these were victims. So I'm not gonna call out anybody in particular, but they were like a couple. It's like so and so was nineteen, and I'm like nineteen on what planet? Holy God! Yeah. What is it about the mid 1980s? You're all old. Even when you're young, you're old. And I've seen this in other things with pictures. You see people from the mid nineteen. What is it? Was it something in the water? Like, did you all look old in 1984 or 1985? Is that the deal? Was that the thing? God damn.
1: Yeah, I hear you, man. I hear you.
0: It was- so one more thing I'll give you that's a little bit more lighthearted in one way and dark in another. So it's it's about it's my delicate
1: lighthearted and dark.
0: It's both. It's both. Do, t- do tell. OK, so forget about the documentary for a second. If you Google the actual thing, you can find it on Wikipedia, of course. Mm-hmm. But what happens is um, you can get down this hilarious, bizarre rabbit hole. And I want to see if uh, I'll see if I can I, I can pull it up here for, for you guys, because I, you're, it's, it's going to blow. it's going to blow your mind. It's, it, it, and it's weak. It's a Wikipedia thing. But I want to I share it with you because it's it's so silly. I understood why it happens, but it, it just kind of made me chuckle. So when I when I went to do my own little bit of research into it, um, so San Isidro, McDonald's Massacre. That's what we're talking about here, mm-hmm. 1984. Okay, so they include this line here in it, which is accurate, just to be fair. And by the way, that's July 18th, 1984. So Dave and I were just past, so I was just past the age of one. <laughs> Dave wasn't even one at that time, even though we're hashtag old. Um, so that is in the month of July. I was like, how dare you? The holiest of months. How dare you, sir? But anyway, uh, so here at the time, the massacre was the deadliest mass shooting by a lone gunman in U S history being surpassed seven years later by the Libby's shooting. So then you have a link to that. You can click on it. And then this was the Libby's massacre that took case, took place in 1991 in Texas, because of course it did. Okay. Then the line. At the time, this was the deadliest mass shooting by a lone gun. It's like a copy and paste job being surpassed 16 years later by the Virginia Tech shooting. So you click on that, and it takes you to this one.
1: I'm doing this uh, doing this as we speak.
0: Yeah. So what happens is now um, I believe this was a little – obviously, the Virginia Tech shooting is more recent, so there's a lot more information included in yeah. here. But they do have a – oh, here. Um, yeah, but it was here.
1: surpassed by nine in, years later by the Atlanta nightclub shooting.
0: Correct. You click on that one. And then it says here, Ba blah blah. It was the deadliest mass shooting in single government until the 2017 Las Vegas shooting. On Wikipedia, you end up down this rabbit hole of you get this one line where then they link you to the next worst mass shooting.
1: That's understand? just like, what does that say about the United States? You know, <laughs> it says something. Like that's that's what, jeez.
0: That's why that, that's why I wanted to that's why I wanted to I gave you guys the emphasis. It is very dark. But also kind of hilarious that like this is like a a stylistic choice that is on Wikipedia. It's like, so what we'll do is we'll include a line that then allows so that this was the deadliest mass shooting until this thing.
1: Yeah. It's it's a lot. It's just I I shake my head. I shake my head for a lot of reasons. I I will
0: say they better hope. They better hope for their sake. That nobody uh, that nobody tops this one for a little while because the Vegas shooting. How about was never? Crazy.
1: That would be nice.
0: I don't think never is going to happen. Uh,
1: but I don't. Yeah, with with the way you know, it's like would they have a mass shooting every week? Every oh lots uh, oh lots right? Like the amount of the amount of you know, I have a I have CNN it was one of the apps I have on my phone right, and I get updates sure. from it. And
0: <laughs> oh, you get the updates. That's a mistake.
1: So, you know, there's some, every once in a while, like, there's something, I'm like, there's something pops up and you're like, actually, that's interesting. I'll read that or some politics yeah. thing or usually, right. But a lot of the time it's like, and there's, you know what I mean? It's, you don't want to, but it's almost in a way you get desensitized to it because it happens so much. Mm-hmm. And then the same, it, you know what I mean? Like, I guess we're in a little bit different place. Like the thing is what, the one thing I find interesting is that people, you know, Canada, oh, this great, we're so much better on guns than we are, but there's a hell of a lot of guns in Canada. People don't realize how many guns we have, really, and how many people own guns. It's a lot. There are a lot of guns in this country. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have tougher gun control, and we don't have the same gun culture Mm -hmm. as the states. But it's like you know, mass shooting, Uh, thoughts and prayers, and we'll move on. And it's like you don't do anything to solve – I mean, granted, I know there's fighting, and there's a little bit of disagreement here and there about causes. But nobody ever tackles the root causes of any of this gun violence ever. And it's like – You know, and then another one happens. It's like, how could this happen? And it's like, I don't know, maybe because you didn't do anything about it the first like 80 times it happened. You know, like maybe if you dealt with this back in 1984, there wouldn't have been a Las Vegas one.
0: Yeah, well, here's what I'll say. I'm I'm not I'm not in disagreement with you, but uh, allow me allow me to kind of uh, I, I will do the Carlos thing and I will I will I will educate. But I will also straddle the line here to give us a little bit of context that will help. Because there's a couple of directions I can take on this, so let, let's actually let's actually educate a little bit here. We, we right. can do that. All
1: right. All right.
0: We can do that. Um, I was born in Panama.
1: Nice. Uh, and just so you know, since I've been to Carlos's house, not since he's changed the desk around. It's been a long time since I've been to Carlos's house. Since the pandemic, I have not been to Carlos's house since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But uh, that flag was not just that was not a. Pr- it is actually there on the desk all the time
0: oh yeah yeah no that, so, that, so that
1: wasn't that, just placed there
0: that that flag
1: is he from does the have a panamanian flag
0: that flag is from the consulate actually yeah carlos senior went to the consulate to do some stuff and he grabbed a couple of little flags and he gave
1: me one nice that's yeah. legit
0: yeah i got it yeah so that's from the consulate that's legit
1: so it's actually from panamanian soil
0: it it, it technically is and i still have a panamanian passport that never expires
1: really never expires <laughs> that's amazing <laughs>
0: It's an old ass photo. I was like four, but and never it's still, still
1: amazing. It never expires. So you can uh, literally travel on a passport with a picture of you that's four years where you're four years old.
0: Damn right I can.
1: Dude, please. Because do I'm that. Carlos. Can you sometime in your life to travel on that passport? There I don't care where you go. You need to travel on that passport. Yeah.
0: It's like listen, I got multiple passport bitches. I'm a spy. Anyway, moving on. So uh so let's like I said, this is the balance of this podcast. I can I can break I'm educating. I'm educating. But anyway, okay. So here's the thing. So Panama has a gun culture in the sense that people have guns. But yeah. and Carlos Senior was an instructor. Carlos Senior was part of the Balboa Gun Club. So I, there is a picture that they have of me, very young age, with my dad at the Balboa Gun Club. Obviously, he's holding it, but I'm, I'm basically effectively firing a rifle. We have a we have a history in the family, and I'm actually a pretty good shot. But the thing is that.
1: You should see this man play drunken duck hunt. That's all I got to oh, say. Oh,
0: th- domination. Domination. But the point is that, um, but the point is, though, that the mentality towards it is different than what it is in the United States. In the United States, they treat it like this God given right, which is silliness to me. The concept of the Second Amendment really was supposed to be for defense, supposed to be like, no, we want to make sure that the citizenry has the ability to be armed against government oppression. That was the notion. That was the premise. That was the. Concept. Well, I mean,
1: the, the thing was honestly, in the context it was written, they worried about the British coming back.
0: Correct. They wanted right? to make sure they had the ability because militias were a thing.
1: Yeah, because you, you know you didn't have. I mean, yes, obviously you had the Continental Army in the in the War of Independence, but like the the United States Army was nowhere near the force that it is now. But it also
0: it also initially wasn't a professional army. Correct. It, it was put together. It was whipped together, like yes. in order to try to accomplish a task. Correct. In today's world, if the government wishes to oppress you, you could have as many AR-15s as, as you want. They're going to drop a Tomahawk missile in your damn house, and you're not doing a damn thing. It yeah. doesn't do what you intended it to do. That's first part. Second part. Um, in Panama, like I said, the, the mentality, the context is different. My dad had a gun collection. He was a gun instructor. In in Canada, he doesn't have a gun. He doesn't care. He's not worried about it. But if he wanted to get one, he could have. If I want to get one, I can. But here's the difference. The mentality is this, and this is where it differs a little bit. I treat it as a tool. I treat it as a weapon. That is what it is. This is not a self defense thing. It can be. in the way that in the way that if you broke into my house and i bash your head in with a hammer that's a self-defense weapon Mm -hmm. anything can be a self-defense weapon if you need it for self-defense correct but the gun is a tool and we treat it and respect it as a tool but it is a tool designed to kill that's what it's designed for that's what it is it's not a toy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not, no. it's it's not a sporting thing and this is coming from a guy who has you know who has play, who has obviously dab who has, has a decent shot who's that you know pellet guns and things like that are great for sport you can do sports shooting with that they're awesome they're fun but a gun is designed for one purpose and one purpose only and if i point a gun at something my intention is to kill it so if i have a gun in my hand and i'm pointing it at you my intention is to make sure you don't get up And the likelihood is if i pull the trigger you don't get up that's the way this works it's not a toy no the point is it's not a toy so i'm not going to randomly point a gun at somebody because it is not a toy if i point a gun at you my intention is to put you down and you don't get up again that is the intention there's no that is also the
1: purpose of what a gun is that is
0: that is what it's for it is the implement by which i accomplish this task that's what it's designed for so when you leave it open to a lot of folks who either have a screw loose and it's always the same excuse. It's like, Oh, well, they're mentally imbalanced. It's like, well, then why'd you let them have one? Because your laws are very loose here in Canada. You can get one, but it's, it's a pain. It's a bit of work.
1: And especially if you want to get, I mean, it's, it's a lot easier to get a rifle too. Um, yeah. Right. And you, obviously you can't get a automatic weapon in Canada that you can't buy those. Yeah, um, But right. It's also a lot harder to get a handgun.
0: Yeah. Oh, right, it's, it's, borderline, it's borderline impossible at this point. Um, and the, the the great irony is that, like, in the city, you really have no use for a rifle. In the city, you're not going out hunting elk.
1: Well, I mean, no, but I, <laughs> I know, not. I mean, there are people in the burbs who go hunting or whatever. Like, that's what they do.
0: I, I You can. The, right? My point isn't whether you can or cannot. It's just, it's a very specific tool for a very specific task. Yeah. It's a very specific tool designed for a very specific job. And with the U.S., the culture is there for it. You're not gonna get rid of it. But my counter is okay, if you want to do it for hunting. Why do you need anything more than a bolt action?
1: No. Right? No, like, I'm being know, practical. I'm being no,
0: super practical.
1: No. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the thing. Like you don't if you're gonna go hunt deer in deer season or turkey or, or whatever A bolt whatever action is, will suffice. Right? You're not taking an AR fifteen. Nope. There right? is
0: no scenario in a context of hunting or in a civilian context where you need anything that even approaches semi-automatic. I could give you a bolt-action rifle, and if you're any good as a shot, you can t- you can get your turkey.
1: Yep. Whatever whatever you're hunting, one hundred percent. You get You, if, can get you it. know, if you're a good enough shot and you actually you know come in in range with that. Correct. Like, I mean, I know I know that it's uh you know it has recently been turkey season here. In mm-hmm. Ontario, right? And and my father-in-law is a hunter, yep. right? And the same thing like everyone I know who owns guns, it's like they hunt and they use them when they go hunting and then they're locked in a safe unless they're cleaning them. Yeah, And they're unloaded, right? Yeah. Um, But, you know, he didn't even see uh, you, you're only in Ontario, you're only allowed to shoot a uh, male turkey, right? You can't shoot female turkeys. That's the law. And he never saw one. Like he's, he's like, I saw lots of turkeys, but I never saw a male turkey, right? So it's like even then, it's like you're not necessarily shooting anything, right? Even mm-hmm. if you go hunting. So it's, you know, whereas I feel there's a lot more people sometimes who are like, I'm going to shoot something no matter what. And it's like, you do understand this is a gun and, you know, you're just, just killing things, right? Like,
0: Well, as I said, and I, the the reason why I can have this conversation is I love the contrast between this conversation where I'm, I'm giving you guys just a very sober, very open, clear description and explanation this coming from the guy who watched the friggin footage of like of like dead children and dead people in a mcdonald's restaurant where they went in the documentary and just like showed it
1: i don't know yeah but that's the thing why was that guy able to get a uzi uh,
0: agreed agreed but wh- what i'm trying to get what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to juxtapose something and the juxtaposition is this i am like i said i am very much a cold-hearted bastard in the sense part of the reason why i suggested that people don't watch it is that for most people, it will be tremendously disturbing. It will be triggering. If you have kids and you see dead kids, that might be disturbing.
1: Yeah. The, the, honestly, I'll it's tell not you this. a still
0: image, it's a video.
1: No, I, I'll tell you this: the having, I have a kid now, right? Yeah. I have another one on the way. Yeah. And that would and, be highly disturbing. Right? Super and, disturbing. And the way I view those types of things now is mm-hmm. totally different than the way I viewed them before I had
0: yeah. kids. That's why I provided it as a warning. I explained it so that people can understand, like, eh, you might want to stay away from this one. I can watch it and be unbothered, and then go eat some popcorn and move on with my day. But I have a very particular—I uh, have a very particular emotional control. I also have a very particular, like I understand what I can handle, what I can't handle, and what I can not yeah. watch and what I can't watch. For sure, I can handle a lot more than a lot of people can when it comes to that. But then I also juxtapose it with explaining this thing. I came from a gun culture, but we came from a responsible gun culture. Yeah, but do you <laughs> understand like, what I it have is? No,
1: I have no issue with people who own even if they own multiple guns if they're hunting and you know they know how to keep their guns locked and they you know like it's it's you know what it's it's you can be very responsible and
0: but that's why I gave that analogy. That's not, why that's not, why I wanted you know, to explain that, it in the really way it's really not I explained that it.
1: difficult to own a gun and be responsible.
0: Yeah but that's but, the reason why I wanted to make very clear yeah, for sure the distinction between what it is. It is a tool if you treat it as a tool, well, then it's not a toy. Well, then it goes back in its place.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It goes back in the tool box, so to speak. And like you also case, don't own a gun
1: for it. the sake of owning a gun. Correct. Well,
0: and it's one of those things where, like, to me, it's a bit of a pain. But I am—I'm the kind of like the biggest problem that. Let's put it this way: I would have one right now if we had gun ranges within reasonable distance available. Because I am the kind of person who is like, no, I, I treat it as I treat it as a sporting thing. I'm interested I am in, I am interested in being good shot. I am interested in doing that. I would do competitive sports shooting if that had been available to me. But in the suburbs in Southern Ontario, it's not really a thing. You got to go kind of up north. I'm not going yeah. there. Yeah, no fair. That's a pain in the ass for me. It's not worth it. If it was a thing where we had a gun club here and something like that, well, I, I would get one. Yeah, because then I could. To me, it is can be a sport. But again, I also understand what it is. When it's not in use, it gets locked up and gets put away. It's not a toy. It's not a toy. And for some people, they when you get very nonchalant about it, that's when you allow you you allow more and more and more until you end up with issues. Yeah, for sure. And that's always the thing. That's why I say I wanted to give it a very responsible treatment, and I wanted to contrast it to kind of the, disc- the discussion we had earlier. And um, epitome of the unnecessary Nonsense podcast. I bet none of you were expecting us to go there today, either, were you?
1: Nope. Including myself. But that's okay. And, I mean, and it happens.
0: Sometimes that's where you got to go. But I think the bottom line is, and this would be my suggestion, honestly, you could probably resolve three quarters of the issues. You don't need to worry about the guns. Just um, increase the difficulty of getting ammo. That would help. Yeah. And you could probably control that. The right to bear arms said nothing about ammo. This is true. There's your loophole. I fixed your problem. Carlos Once again, it Carlos again. saving. How like honestly, people. How many times do I have to save all your asses? Make this easy.
1: Until the Supreme Court decides that somehow ammo is included in the wording of, you know. It's not. I know it's not. I <laughs> Good know. luck with that. <laughs> I know it's not, but they they also basically wrote out the militia part in their ruling of the they're you know the most recent rulings right Yeah. So.
0: yeah any lawyer worth of salt could like tear that apart it would be hilarious it'd be like does it say ammo does it say right to bear ammo you can have the gun it's hell true. give him a give away for free at walmart but no ammo yeah but anyway yeah. That's what it, that is what it is. But uh, but it, it just made me, like I said, the original uh, the context of it, it made me laugh that it's like you were able to click on from one to the other, one to the other, one to the other. We'll see. We'll see down the road. That always tends to be a bit of an interesting, weird thing when yeah. some of that stuff works out. But on a lighter note, on a lighter note, I'll do a 180 on a lighter note. Okay. On a lighter note, um, that was a good discussion, though. Good discussion. It good was. Talk. Good talk. Good talk. Um, on a bit of a lighter note, we can touch on. We already covered. Uh, we already covered the blind gods. We already covered that. Um, what do you have in your notes?
1: I have two things. Please. Um, I have more Super League salt.
0: Ooh, Super League salt.
1: And I have um, Albert Pujols.
0: Oh, good. of which
1: we can talk about, and, and we can bring back the the segment of the list segment next week. We don't need to do that this week because those lists don't go anywhere. So we can talk about them anytime.
0: No, that's fair. I think that's reasonable. Okay, so here's what, I, here's what I propose. Here's what I propose. All right. Those of you who are listening and watching will see the benefit of editing. Carlos is going to refill his drink. I am going to tell you that I'm going to refill my drink, but then I will magically reappear with my drink already refilled. Whoa! I know, right? I know. But when I come back, we will talk about those two things, and then we will conclude episode 96. An excellent episode. Quite frankly... Our best episode ever. I have already declared it best <laughs> I'm not sure, episode I about that. ever.
1: I, I I still think the, the one where we saved the CFL was pretty damn good.
0: I don't give a shit about the defunct CFL. The point is that, listen, I solved gun control, god damn it. Hey, that's true. This so, is more important.
1: Fair enough. I solved it. Fair enough.
0: Best episode ever. Be right back. Through the power of editing, I did such a good job in that previous segment, I've rewarded myself with the refill. Nice. Please continue with the next story.
1: All right. So uh, this, this is something that broke today. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently it's not actually going to be official till Monday, but Albert Pujols, who was released by what well, designated for assignment by the uh, Los Angeles Angels or Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim or whoever you want to call them the Angels, uh, and he's going to the Dodgers. Uh, and and I've got a few things here because I want to talk about this a little bit. I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically, the Angels are he's due I think thirty million dollars this year. Mm-hmm. The Angels are paying the rest of that. All yep. the Dodgers have to do is pay a prorated portion of the league minimum, which is five hundred seventy thousand fifty dollars. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right. Um, but the, I find a couple of interesting things. First, that the Dodgers would make this pick. Now, mm-hmm. I know the Dodgers are are pretty much decimated by injury right now. Even though they're, you know, they're in third in the in the NL West right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've, you know, they've actually won two in a row for the first time in a while. Uh, And hopefully they're turning the corner and, you know, they've got some guys coming back. But Albert Pujols' numbers at the time that he finished uh, with the Angels, he was batting 198 with an on-base of 250. And I guess, uh, is it slugging or on-base? Yeah, slugging of 372. What's the Mm -hmm. third one that comes in there? Is that that what it is? Sorry, repeat that? When they list the the thing. So it's like. Oh, so like the slashes. So it's average, on-base, and what's the third one? Slugging. I think it's like okay. So 372 yeah. slugging. Slugging
0: is usually one of the three.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh five home runs and twelve RBI. Yeah, which isn't In terrible. I think twenty four games.
0: Yeah, for for power numbers, it's not terrible.
1: All right. But he, but here's my thing. And I and I'm curious as to, to why the Dodgers picked him up. Uh and the reason for that is mm-hmm. that well it, Dodgers are a national league team. So mm-hmm. they don't have the Universal DH this year. Yep. So he if he's playing, he's either gonna pinch hit which mm-hmm. I think is actually what he's going to do most often. Yes. Or he's going to have to play ba- first base because he ain't, mm-hmm. ain't going to play anywhere else. Uh, now, Max Muncy is the Dodgers regular first baseman, right? And he's, you know, every once in a while they shift people around or whatnot, but that's basically Matt, M- Max Muncy's position. He's good enough. He's going to stay there. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that you brought up maybe, is, is he ring chasing? 100%. just possible, but he already yes. has two World Series.
0: I, right? think, I think it's a, I think I honestly. So let me quickly touch on this. So do you think he's just trying
1: it. to brandish his Hall of Fame credentials, which he's going to the Hall of Fame? anyway. No, no, no. no. I,
0: I don't. He's not worried about the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame. So, the Hall of so Fame. So what is, is, what is in this?
1: Here, what is in this? Tell me what is the benefit for uh, Pujols, and what is the benefit for the Dodgers? Because I don't. I. I other than Pujols gets to play longer, I don't really mm-hmm. see what the benefit here is. Uh,
0: well, the thing is, I the ring chasing. Here's the thing. Yes, he's got two. So here's the thing about Pujols. OK, just so we're clear. I'm a big Pujols fan just to be 100%. You know, we we know we've I've made this clear, hopefully, in my explanation of different Pujols things over the, over the course of this podcast. Um, Albert Pujols does not need anything else. He can retire right this second. Right now. He's a first ballot hall famer. Done. Agreed. I agree. with you. His His credentials are unimpeachable. Nothing yes. he does the rest of the season is going to deter or add or really do anything. I think it's a personal satisfaction thing. I think he would just love to get one more ring. His mentality, I think, at this point, it's just like three is better than two. This team won last year. They've got at least a moderately reasonable chance. I would rather win a ring with these guys on the bench than start for a garbage team and just ride out the string. That's that's what I think Albert Pujols' angle is on this. Because he was going to basically play for the Major League minimum for whoever it was he was going to play for anyway. He's right. already got... He Let's put it this way. He doesn't need money. Number one, he doesn't need accolades. number two, he doesn't need to be the star. he doesn't need attention. he doesn't need any of that. For him it's just like just if he if he got one more World Series out of this, one more ring and got to ride off in the sunset, it isn't necessary, but is he gonna cry about it? No, he'll be like, thank you very much. have a great day. Good luck to you all. And it'd be kind of cool for him to have one more ring. Three is cool. Three is better than two. Two's already pretty good. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Like, he's got no shame. He He's not in the Barry Bond situation where he's got all the stats, all the accolades, and the dark shadow, and no World Series rings to show for it. He's got two. And he was a key piece. He was the star hitter on those two World Series teams. And they went to three World Series in St. Louis. His St. Louis career is unimpeachable. It's untouchable. He it was beautiful. It was poetry in motion. The thing in, uh, in, in, for the Angels, not so great. But by that point, he had already established such a good track record. He's got 660 home runs. He's good. <laughs> he's got 3,200 hits. He's good. Yeah. Like, he's good. He's fine. He will be okay. It's one of those things where, like, his career is a first ballot Hall of Fame career. There's nothing that can hurt it. I think though, um, from his perspective, I think it is just maybe the opportunity is there. It's a lo- it's an opportunity to potentially get to the postseason one more time. Maybe and get if a he's
1: living it. in Southern California, he doesn't have to move.
0: Yeah, like it's it's just a convenience thing with the with an opportunity to maybe ride out into the sunset with one more ring, if everything goes well. So, from his perspective, it's an all all positive, no negative situation. It's it's a win win potentially. Yeah could be great for him. Uh, for the Dodgers, it's just a veteran bat on the bench. I think he's going to predominantly be a bench player for them. Um, I don't think he's going to play that much. I think, to your point, Max Muncy, I think, is going to play in first base. Um, there is no DH. He'll pinch hit. He'll play first base once in a blue moon just to get his bat in the lineup a couple of times. Get him a couple of, if he gets 100 plate appearances the rest of the season, I will be shocked. I do not even say at bats. I said plate appearances. Period. Yeah. If he gets 100 plate appearances the rest of the year, I'll be shocked. I'll be impressed. Um, I think it's just riding out the string, getting to the end of his career. Um, the other thing as well, and maybe this this could be a potential angle. I don't know. I don't have an answer to this. What if part of the deal is Pools knows a thing or two about hitting? Could he not impart some wisdom as kind of like a sec like a play coach, basically? Possibly. Possible. Could that not be something beneficial potentially for some of the players? Like a Absolutely. Cody Bellinger, who's a young guy with great potential. Hey, we got Albert Pujols here. He's forgotten more about hitting than a lot of people know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he could impart some
0: wisdom upon him. For sure. I could see that. As a young a young Cody Bellinger who's already been MVP before, could he not use a couple of tips that could help him continue to play well in the future? Mm -hmm. Maybe Albert Pujols could lay the groundwork for a potential coaching career down the road. Yeah. That wouldn't be a terrible idea.
1: All possibilities.
0: I'm just throwing out some thoughts. I'm just saying, like, from Pujols' perspective, maybe there's some potential interesting things that could come of it. He knows what the role is going to be on the team as a player. Yeah. But what if he is an unofficial coach? What if this was the first step towards maybe getting himself a a post-playing career? Because I would listen to Albert Pujols if he had a couple of things to say about hitting. For sure. I'd listen to him. It could be the start of that kind of that maybe maybe start transitioning into that side of the career.
1: It could be a to, very right? brilliant
0: move. It could be a brilliant move from multiple levels for both sides. Yeah, fair enough. And it's a low-cost thing. It's not like it cost the Dodgers much.
1: No, no. Like it cost them nothing. No. I mean, in, in, in comparison to everything else, right? It's it's not. Yeah, the, a, the Angels have
0: already paid it. The, the man made a quarter of a billion dollars the last 10 years. He's good. <laughs> He's good. He'll be all right. That would be my answer to your question.
1: Fair enough. All right. And now, Carlos, for our last segment of this podcast, episode 96, which you have called The Greatest. It is the greatest. It is time for the Pretentious Cross-Country Running Report with Dave Turnbull.
0: Is it that time? Is it the time right now?
1: Cue Rolling Neymar.
0: I was stalling. I actually had the button, but I was stalling just for fun. By the way, I don't know if y'all noticed. I, I should have uploaded it. I screwed up. I should have uploaded it. Rolling Neymar was there last episode. The song changed. We didn't get flagged. Ooh. You didn't catch that? No. The song changed. Oh, Dave. Did you not watch and or listen to our episode the song changed?
1: I no, I'm going to I'm going to go back after this and check it God out. Goddamn
0: son. Goddamn. Dude. Ah, lame. Anyway, Rolling Neymar I hope you enjoyed that song you didn't get to hear.
1: <laughs> I enjoy it. I, I'm, I'm very curious. But anyway. In, in,
0: those of you who caught the audio version, got the modified version. Those of you who on the YouTube, got the modified version. The video's the same. The song has changed. Interesting. I got a royalty-free version of a song that I put in there that actually fit kind of all right.
1: Nice. But
0: the video stayed the same.
1: Cool. All right. Uh, so, the Super League, the drama that won't die.
0: I hope it never does.
1: So, on Wednesday, uh, UEFA announced that they have uh, initiated disciplinary proceedings uh, against the three clubs that refused to say the Super League won't die, right? Mm. In, in which case, the heroes of Carlos being Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Juventus.
0: Listen, I would never – would be, it would be truly pretentious of me to critique – them from holding on to the dream of Super League to holding on to the dream of Super League, the, our proper fate, the correct timeline that involves Super League. It would be wrong of me to critique them for that and not, in turn, make fun of another group of individuals who are, are deranged individuals who have been keeping this ridiculous dream alive like since the 1950s. People around here believe that the CFL actually exists. It's a oh, lie. Oh gosh! It's a lie. It never happened. <sighs> it's not true. And they've been doing this since the fifties. Since the fifties. So Super right. League is real to me. Damn Fair it! Fair enough. Super League is real.
1: So uh, it's interesting. So basically, what they're doing is they're contemplating banning each club for two years from European competition, which really? under their <laughs> under their rules could okay. would be the stiffest punishment they could hand out.
0: That makes sense. Okay.
1: All right. Um, now, obviously, I guess it doesn't really matter if you don't qualify for Europe, uh, mm-hmm. for European qualification, uh, mm-hmm. but those teams generally do. So that would be significant. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, obviously, the loss of revenue that would come with that. However, mm-hmm. um, in all this Super League drama, uh, one of the things I don't think we talked about, but happened a court in Spain uh, basically said that UEFA wasn't allowed to discipline them and they could form the Super League. Okay. All right. So that that happened. Okay, so we'll see what happens. So UEFA is saying we're going to we're going to do something. They haven't announced what yet, but they're going to do something. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and the, you know, the EPL has also said they're gonna do something to the clubs, but who knows what it's going to be. However, at the same time, uh, the European court uh, has been asked, so like the the court of the, the European Union has been asked to look at this. And look at whether FIFA and FIFA and UEFA have abused their power. So it's gone all the way to the EU Court of Justice, and and basically they're actually looking at sections of the treaty. So section 101 and 102. Which quick
0: quick point, quick quick point of order, quick okay. quick point of order. Is it literally called the EU Court of Justice? It is. Okay, I kind of like that. I'm not gonna lie. I kind I like, uh, of like speaking pretentious. Like <laughs> we are members. Of the court of justice. The court of justice has been adjourned. Good day. I love it. I you like just it.
1: Need, you just need a gavel to put in there with that, you know?
0: And you also have to talk the way I just did.
1: Yes, I agree. Like It's,
0: it's like the only appropriate thing to do. If you did, you'd be wrong.
1: So ba- basically what they're, doing is they're is they're taken to a court of arbitration. In this, the, in this case, the EU court of justice is acting as a court of arbitration sure. as to whether um, the EU and UEFA abuse their power. Mm-hmm. Right, um, yep. based on, but it's interesting that it, that what they're using and asking about is the act, it's not like some soccer law; it's actually the the treaty that governs the European Union.
0: There are laws in soccer,
1: <laughs> but it's in, it's, in the same it's way also, court sport of... law. Like, right? Like, it's basically art, article Article one hundred one prohibits agreements which have as their objective or effect the prevention, restriction, or distortion of competition. Okay. That's that's right. So it's not necessarily sport. That's Article 101 okay. and Article 102 uh, prohibits any abuse by one or more undertakings of a dominant position within the internal market, internal market being the European Union. Love it. So that's where we're at, Carlos. And I just I felt like I needed to bring this to the people, Uh, you know, so they so people knew exactly what's going on with it.
0: I appreciate, uh, I want to say, I um, I appreciate that on several levels. I have to give the appropriate banner. It's, yeah, it's true, man. Um, I appreciate it on several levels. First of which is you brought to us Court of Justice, which will not be a new thing that will keep in the back of my mind whenever I want to make fun of something. <laughs> Plus, it left me a beautiful opening to make fun of the CFL again. As I do. As I do. So, like, nothing wrong as far as I'm concerned. Sounds great. Keep it up, you guys. Court of Justice. I got you, man. Uh, Just so you know, just y'all know, it's um. The title is now Court of Justice.
1: Chef's kiss. (laughs) Beautiful. I I, see. I I felt. I mean, we didn't plan it this way, but I feel that was a perfect way to end things.
0: There's literally nothing that we planned on this thing. Listen, I brought you, I brought you terrible documentaries.
1: There are notes, Carlos. They were notes that were made before this podcast.
0: Did they include, did they include a terrible documentary with dead children?
1: No. They, Gun they never control will, discussion, Carlos, and they never will.
0: Gun control discussion and no. court of justice?
1: No. The trifecta. I like to, th-
0: I like to think once again, yet again. We've expanded our range.
1: As we continue to do. I'm telling you, man, this podcast deserves an award. What kind of award? I'm not sure. I but deserve it deserves something. An award.
0: It deserves something. Plus, I solved gun control. For God's sake, I solved it. If nothing
1: else, please, the, the, epi- the title of this episode better be Carlos Solves Gun Control.
0: No, the episode the episode title is Court of Justice. <sighs> the, putting Carlos Solves Gun Control. You, you want to answer those comments? Not even contact. You enough. answer those comments. I'm not answering those comments. You think, answer those think
1: comments. Think of the views, Carlos. Think of the views. Oh,
0: the views will not be the issue. <laughs> so, uh, so on a related note, if you have any queries or questions, I will include Dave's address in yeah, the description. No Knock yourself no out.
1: No thanks.
0: He will deal with you. He'll he'll discuss with you in a a, a civil discourse, no doubt. Moving on. With that said, that is episode ninety six of the unnecessary nonsense podcast. We went all over the map, all over the map. We did. Actually, before I uh, before I leave all over the map, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish with this, and this will be this will be the, in fact the last thing. But I will finish with this uh, because I thought it was kind of interesting. That was kind of interesting. Um, I will show you guys. I was uh, doing my usual sports cards happenings happenings, but but but. I was off uh, looking for the opportunity to locate um, a couple of items for a specific year. And I'm going to see if I can pull it up here for you. Emerald. So I will show you. There is a couple of actually very interesting cards that are uh, that are on good friend eBay, but um, I'm going to ignore them for now and I'll show you something very specific. Let's see if I can find it here. Ah, fine. I'll do this one then. There's one I wanted to show you, but I'll do it later. I'll show crap. you this one, though. This is what we'll finish off with. Since we didn't get any sports card content on this one. Boom. Nice. So I'll quickly explain. This is uh, one of the collections I've started working on. And this is, uh, I've started focusing my attention on that early 2000s range. I actually had a copy of this. There's only 10 copies worldwide. I actually had a copy of this previously a different copy um, that had the NHL shield on it, but it did have a bit of a scratch on it. Uh, It was a nice copy, uh, but I ended up selling it. Um, And then down the road, I came across this one. I ended up paying more for this one comfortably, to be fair. Um, I kind of wish I'd kept the other copy, but it's fine. It's all good. Uh, But I ended up getting this copy that has uh, the AL in Dallas and then the stars. It's actually part of a shoulder patch, which is right about here. And uh, that is what this piece is pertaining to. But I'm a big fan of the 2000 uh, All-Star jersey mm-hmm. i have a replica version of this jersey that i used to wear regularly so i do appreciate it on several levels Solid for man. reasons plus they had that card show back in 2000 ah the heyday back in the days where we were less hashtag old axe it is what it is time goes by what are you gonna do and then later on you will eventually go down you will eventually go down the line get older make a podcast solve gun control learn about court of justice
1: Important things. As you do, man.
0: Important things. Important things. So anyway, that is, I wanted to include a sports card thing at the end because then we really truly did cover the full spectrum. We got wrestling in there, you know. That we did. Violent documentaries, gun control, and then a sports card at the end.
1: Dude, we did it. Well done. We did it. Good job, Bravo everybody. us. Bravo us.
0: Good job, y'all. Good job. Anyway, so that's it for us. Episode 96. We're marching steadily towards episode 100
1: and cake. Mmm, cake.
0: I'm actually becoming serious about this cake. Originally I said it just because I'm a jerk, but I'm actually thinking cake might be warranted.
1: I feel it would be. And Carlos Sr. would approve.
0: Carlos Sr.'s like, you have a fucking podcast? Who cares? Cake, you say? Yes, old man, cake. That's that's Carlos Sr. for you. Yes, correct, cake. I'm in. I don't care about the rest of it. Cake. Correct. Yes. Done. So that may happen. We'll see. We shall see as we approach closer. So anyway, that'll be it for us this time around. Uh next episode, we'll talk about something or other. I don't know what it is yet. We'll figure it out. Between now and then. Maybe we'll talk a little NHL playoffs. They have playoffs in the NHL. That was us talking about the NHL playoffs.
1: <laughs> and quota <quarter> done.
0: <laughs> Covered. Hashtag canada indeed good job y'all anyway so that's it for us uh, we'll catch you in the next one you can check us out on itunes spotify google play wherever you get your podcast i have been getting the audio version of the last couple of weeks and i will get this one up uh but otherwise honestly you get the full impact you get the full effect on the youtube channel unnecessary nonsense podcast youtube channel exactly what it sounds like go there watch us make faces relish in the pictures that i'll put on the screen. Look at Dave's face when I when I take on controversial topics. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Anyway, so that's it for us. We'll catch you in the next episode of the unnecessary nonsense podcast.